Out of the Pen Podcast. What's up and welcome to the Out of the Pen Podcast, where we are bringing you baseball from a fan's perspective. Uh, get all the latest content from the Out of the Pen Baseball team at outofthepinbaseball.com. And as always, you are listening to us on the MTMV Sports uh, Podcast Network. <laughs> that is my team, my voice, baseball fans rejoice. So I am Eric Boston. With me as always is Mr. Andy Ziga. How are hey, we doing today? Doing great. How are you, man? Man, I, you know, I'm I'm feeling good. We've been rolling lately. Uh, the winter meetings are in full effect right now. So we've been seeing some really cool stuff happening. You know, a lot of action going on the last couple of days. So definitely excited to jump into some of the movements that's been going on uh, here the last, you know, week or so. Um, and not only do we get to tackle it, Andy, but we've got uh, a special guest here at the show with us today, and that is Coach Oxenrider, Coach Trent Oxenrider from Hollister High School in Hollister, Missouri. Uh, thanks for being on the show with us, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, for sure, sure for sure. And Excited we're excited to have you. Exactly, and we're gonna you know have a really good conversation uh, with Coach Ox here, and a little bit later in the show, we're gonna kind of dive into some of that high school level baseball. Um, so maybe some of the changes that's been going on there a little bit. Uh, but, you know, first, Coach, we invite you to jump in on these conversations with us uh, about what's been going on. I know you're a big Cardinals fan, so I think the most realistic place maybe to start is with uh, the, the big trade that the Cardinals made, getting Paul Goldschmidt from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, St. Louis sent over pitcher Luke Weaver, catcher Carson Kelly, and infielder Andy Young, as well as a round B competitive bounce pick, to get what's easily one of the best players in the game right now. Uh, what do you? What were you guys' thoughts on this trade? I mean, I think it's a good it's a good move for the Cardinals. It gets some middle of the, middle of the order bat. Um, gets some uh, allows them to move their guys around a little bit, open it up some. Uh, they did have to give give up to get it, and. Um, it's it would be difficult if he's only there for a year. It, it would be a difficult move to give up some of the guys they did, but at the same time, they're pretty well stocked uh, coming up, and you got you got to make moves to be able to uh, to be able to compete and keep competing the way that they do all the time. So uh, I just wanted to hit some of his numbers last year, and funny enough, early on last year, I mean probably for the first two months, he had. He had a bad year, Goldsmith did, and then he just turned it on and he uh, hit 290, had 30 or er, 33 home runs, 83 RBIs. Uh, his OPS was um, 922, and his OPS plus was 139. Um, ended up with uh, 5.4 WAR for the year. So Not you're bad. getting you're getting a for real guy there. Uh, people argue whether he's Better or not than Harper. Um, one thing's true, he's definitely a good player. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, definitely, definitely. Coach, what's your thoughts on the, the trade there to get Goldschmidt in St. Louis? I think it was a great pickup. It would be better, piggyback off what Andy was saying, um, 
if they can give him more than a year, it's absolutely worth everything they sent. I think he's probably someone that fits St. Louis. Yeah. They're kind of their style, their character. I mean, that's great. That's where, you know, someone like we talk about Harper. Some people question that part if, if he could fit into St. Louis. So I think Goldschmidt's an absolute great pickup for them. Yeah, he seems like a St. Louis kind of player. And so I, I don't think that uh, the team makes this move. They don't think they can re-sign him, uh, for one thing. Um, and then kind of what Andy was saying, you know, the, the question is, did they give up too much? Honestly, I don't think what they gave up was bad at all. You got um, – Carson Kelly, who the organization seemed high on for a little bit, but the time that he's got to audition at the major league level um, hasn't just hasn't blown people away by any means. Uh, so you, I think we're going to be able to see what Carson Kelly actually is made of because he's probably going to get consistent playing time in Arizona. Um, Luke Weaver, he, I mean, do we know? He, are, we, are we certain on what Weaver even is at this point? He was their top top level prospect for a long time. Hasn't quite quite hit the way that they wanted. Um, Arizona must see something in him, I bet. Yeah. And he's still a good get for them. But I think with Luke Weaver, I mean, you see inconsistencies. I think you saw him be really good, and then we've seen him be bad. Um, someone like Carson Kelly, the catcher. I think we've seen other catchers who's been top quality picks and stuff like that go through. I mean, waiting for Yachty. When Yachty retires, the next catcher will be there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, whenever you have the chance to get one of the best players in baseball, you go get them. And really, first base has been a spot that St. Louis has been trying to figure out ever since Pujols left. And you've got possibly the closest guy to Pujols stepping into that spot in 2019. And like Andy said, you know, the St. Louis, they expect to win. They expect to make the playoffs. And over the last few years, you've had, you know, the Cubs improve. And now the Brewers are right up there with some of the best teams in the National League. So it's not just chasing one team anymore. It's chasing two teams. And you've got to go out there. You've got to, you know, take those risks to try to keep up, I think. And, you know, St. Louis, I don't know that they're necessarily a team that's going to go out and spend, you know, big money on a free agent like a Bryce Harper, but whenever you can acquire someone via trade, yeah, you know, that, that's kind of their M.O. a little bit. So. I'd like to point out something interesting to me, uh, two things, about, about this trade specifically. The round B competitive balance pick, it hasn't been way too long that you could include those, right. and that's probably you know that's a pretty good pick there. Uh, as at least earlier rounds, um, it allows them to have more money in their draft, uh, and it seems like a pretty good add. And it's just interesting to think how long is it going to be before MLB allows you to trade any pick, right? And what would happen with that? How would how would things look different? Uh, something else I wanted to bring up while we're on the Cardinals is um, not only did they make this trade, they made they made a small trade with the Rangers this last last week too. And I, I was just going to point out it, it's pretty interesting. Um, they they have some chess going on there because they get a big guy here, and then in that trade they they take somebody that's probably a little bit blocked um, in Patrick Wisdom, a little bit older, and they turn him into a utility guy. And if they don't want him, they can you know ship him off, whatever. But but they got a good uh, utility guy in Drew Robinson. He's not the he's not always the best hitter when he does hit. It's 
tends to be a home run or an extra base hit. So, um, but uh, he can play any position. So, um, just yeah. interesting, I thought. So, well, you know, leave it to Andy to bring up a Rangers trade. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but hey, on yeah. that on that uh, on that round B pick. Um, so me and Farron, uh, shout out to Farron, the homie. He's on our out of the pin baseball team. Um, we had our first episode of the I-70 podcast, and in his opinion, that round B pick may have been one of the primary things coming or going to Arizona. Yeah. You know, it, it was kind of what he was theorizing, and I could understand that. So if you guys haven't heard that, go check it out. You can find it on our website, outofthepinbaseball.com. It's the I-70 podcast where we're talking uh, Missouri baseball, Royals, and Cardinals. Um, and let's – I, I want to jump into the Royals stuff, but we're going to save, save it for a minute because I realize I, we need to talk about another team that's willing and dealing this offseason, and that's the Seattle Mariners. And they made um, two pretty substantial trades – uh, the first being sending Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz to the New York Mets in exchange for Jay Bruce, Anthony Swarzak, Gerson Batista, Jared Selenik, and Justin Dunn. So uh, the Mariners acquiring five players in exchange for Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz. Thoughts on this trade, guys? I, I, I'm kind of wondering what the Mets are doing. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not the... It's not that they had to give up a ton, a ton of stuff. Well, it's a lot of players, but uh, it's just, just kind of an odd, an odd deal for a team that's in the spot where they're at. And yeah. as you take a look, they went and got Cano now, who's a little bit older. People argue how Cano, great who he'll was be. suspended for half the season last year. Yeah, let's keep but, that in mind. But he did come back and play well. He yeah. did come back and play well. And then they go and get Edwin Diaz, who's a great back-end pitcher. But there seems to be a lot of those guys out there and that you could that you could go and get without having to spend a prospect, without having to spend an arm and a leg. And so, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just perplexing to me. Um, maybe well, the Mets are in a different spot than where I believe they are. Well, let's think um, about it for a second. The Mets, they started off hot in, uh, in 2018. You know, they were leading the East for a while. They looked like they were legit. I kind of was buying into them early. Uh, and then they just kind of fell flat. So it, you, you got a team that's in the biggest market in the country, um, you know, and whenever that's the stage you're on, you're expected to compete. So they think, man, you know, maybe Washington's down because they, they're probably not going to have Harper, even though uh, Washington made a – you know, signed a, you know, a contract that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got the Phillies and the Braves that are on the come-up young teams, and I think the Mets are looking at it as we got to stay competitive – I just don't know that adding Cano uh, and Diaz, adding a, yeah, adding an aging player in Cano is necessarily going to do that because I mean they've tried going that route before, um, recently, and it's not really worked out for them. Coach, what what are your thoughts uh, on this trade sending Cano to the Mets? I think for the Mets it was something different. They were trying to do something, get some guys for Cano. To me, I mean. His numbers, I mean, if you look at average, are still very, very good for the most part. I mean, when he was with the Yankees, he hit basically 300 or higher every year that he was with them. Yeah. So I think maybe a little comfort zone that part of 
country in that area. He really which he did say he was happy to be back in New York. Yeah, as well. And and just to add uh, the numbers that he had this year, this last year in eighty games was three oh three batting average, three seventy four on base percentage. His OPS was eight forty five. Anything over eight hundred is a good year. Um, OPS plus was one one thirty six. So you're talking about a good year, but yeah. yeah. So I I feel like I mean just if you look at that side with Cano and I know he's aging and stuff, but he's still very respectful in that yeah. position and batting. So I think it was decent for the Mets. I mean I know they're looking for a little bit of offense and they've had Bruce for however long and like yeah. uh, the the one thing to go along with that uh, that I didn't really mention before is he's under salary for through 2023 and he'll be 40 that year making We're talking 20. about Cano right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He'll, he'll be oh, I'm sorry. I, I uh skipped. But um back to Cano. Um he'll be making 24 million that year in his age 40 year and he'll be making 24 million until then. And so and um he's a good player to go get. And again, I'm I'm still just confused about like they must have a different evaluation of where they're at versus me. Like yeah. like you hear rumors about them shopping Syndergaard and that kind of stuff, but at the same time they're going and getting Cano, getting Diaz, and I don't know. Right. So. Well, then you got um, you know the Mariners turn around and helping another NL East team out. Uh, they send you know All Star caliber shortstop Gene Segura to the Phillies in exchange for Carlos Santana, who'd spent one year in Philadelphia, and they also get infielder J.P. Crawford. Um, I thought I thought this was interesting. I mean, the the one thing I think that we're seeing is that Seattle's trying to get out of some of the big money that they did have on their books because yeah. Carlos Santana and Gene Segura, they, their contracts as far as like a yearly average was really similar. Santana had less years on the contract, so they're going to be able to get out from under that. Uh, sooner, yeah, uh, and J.P. Crawford, kind of a wild card. I mean, he's he's a was a highly rated prospect who hasn't you know been amazing at the major league level, but still has time to kind of grow into that potential. Um, and then you know the the Phillies, they were making it a race with the Braves and the Nationals for most of 2018. So you know they they're looking at how can we you know take another step? How can we? get right there and be in that playoff hunt in 2019. And at whenever you can add an all-star level player, especially at a premium position, then yeah, it's kind of a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know when, when you first look at these, it seems like the Mariners are deciding to go full tank mode. Um, as you start looking at, they're training these guys off. Um, that, but like, it's interesting because, it's not like they're trying to go and secure as many young players as they can possibly secure. They're they're going about it a little bit different. And um, as you talk about their contracts, they're kind of opening them th- themselves up. And uh, it actually, they didn't get rid of enough that they won't be competitive all the way. They're, yeah. We're not talking last year Orioles yet or anything like that. So um, it, they, they probably have quite a bit more going on coming up. So I don't know. Coach? I hate, as a Cardinals <laughs> fan, I hate to see Segura back in the National League. 
Yeah. I feel like he tears up the Cardinals <laughs> all the time. But um, no, I think for the Phillies, it's a great move. I think Segura is a very quality player once again. I mean, we got to talk about Cano a little bit. I think Segura is a good pickup for them. Oh, yeah. Oh, I agree. And the Phillies, the Phillies, I mean, I think they're back. You know, well, and, and what, four, was it 14, 15 that they kind of blew everything up? And last year they had a good year. They won over 90 games. And they've got a young core. And they've got pitching. They've and the belief is pitting. with the Phillies is that they're going to end up with one or possibly both of the biggest free agents in Harper and Machado. Yeah. So if if they have quality around those guys, then, yeah, they could be very dangerous. Um in a in the NL East in 2019 for sure. Yeah, so uh, I I think that's good. I think they're on the right track there. Yeah. And so so that's some of the the trades that have happened over the last uh, week or two. Let's look at a, a couple of the signings, and I want to kind of go from uh, from low, and we'll we'll build, build up to high because I want to start in Kansas City. I know no one cares, but the Royals signed Billy Hamilton. You know. Yeah, I mean, St. Louis, they might have went and got one of the best overall players in Paul Goldschmidt, but the Royals just got the fastest guy in baseball, right? I mean, that equals that. I don't know. Let me try to hold on to something good here, Andy, okay? (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, they're they're going back to their roots and defense and speed. Speed and defense, yeah. And maybe uh, maybe throw some um, on-base percentage out of out of the loop, like that, you know. Everybody was always confused what the Royals were doing. It's like they have their own version of sabermetrics that go a little bit against the grain, and that's how you can win. I mean, it worked for them. So, um, but you, I don't know. It's kind of it's interesting. I think it's I think it's good. Like it's not a bad price. Well, so so Billy Hamilton, of course, he was you know spent his entire career in Cincinnati, um, you know, known for his speed. Uh, he was projected, I think, to to make about five point nine or so, right around six million dollars uh, in arbitration. Instead, the Reds chose a non-tender him. He ends up signing a five point two five million dollar one year contract with Kansas City. Um, it's a four four point two five base with a one million dollar buyout because there's a mutual option for next year. Uh, some performance bonuses included in that contract. So, I mean, they. Get him for just under his projection, uh, salary wise, but they didn't have to give up anything to get him. And I think you're right. You know, when the Royals were, you know, kind of back in 2014 and 15, they were built on that speed, uh, solid defense, uh, you know, getting on base, which I don't know, it may be a struggle, like you said, for him in 2019. Um, but I think Hamilton fits the mold. And here's the thing is if Hamilton could come out, you've got spacious Kauffman Stadium. Uh, you know, it maybe can play to whatever strengths he does have as a hitter. I'm not saying that he's got a lot, but whatever he does have. And if he can put together just an average first half at the plate, then you're looking at a potential guy that the Royals could turn around and flip for something useful more long-term, uh, which Dayton Moore is pretty solid at doing, is, is being able to take these guys, you know, get something out of them and, and flip them yeah. for, for an asset. Um, well, I mean, C- coach, you, I'm, I'm sure you've seen plenty of Billy Hamilton with the Reds being in the NL central. Um, like what have you observed or, or, or what's your take on his game and, and how he fits in at the major league level? 
Well, I think with his speed, I mean, he makes him very unique and rare to have that speed. Very few people. I mean, someone we see as a Cardinals fan now is someone like Harrison Bader, who's not as fast as him, quite as fast, but he adds that. So, like, late in the game, watching Cards play the Reds, the last person we want on base is Billy Hamilton. That's who we didn't want. Because you were afraid, especially in a close game, if it's tie game, whatever, you just don't want to. So, he brings that pressure added yeah. pressure to the game, even at the highest level. I mean, that mm-hmm. speed adds pressure to defenders, pitchers, catchers. Yeah. And, I mean, it's almost – if he can get on first, it's almost a guarantee he's getting to second. And then in the outfield, I mean, he could cover ground. Even if he doesn't take a great route to the ball, his speed more than makes up for it. So that's going to play well, you know, in the big outfield at the K. If- if uh, if you want to take a quick look at his best year, it was 2016. His, he was 25. He had 2.8 war. Um, he hit 260. If he's in 260, it's probably a win for the Royals. Definitely. Um, uh, his, but I mean, even at even at that, like he had a good year overall. But even at that, his uh, OPS was a 664 which is well under that 700, which is at least an okay player. And um, his OPS plus was 77, and 100 is like an average player. So, uh, I mean, his hitting skills are so bad, but then when, you know, when he can hit 260 and get on base at a clip of 321, he has 58 steals. So, <laughs> it's like... It's, uh, it's kind of... That's the unique thing in the game is everybody... Will give up, give strike, give up strikeouts. They'll allow the strikeouts if you hit home runs. Well, in his case, if he seals the bases, they'll allow his low average and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the Royals uh, mm-hmm. right now have three of three guys ranked in the top twenty as far as speed, and no other team has two. So that could be very interesting with him, um, Alberto Montesi, and Whit Merrifield, because <clears throat> you gotta expect Merrifield's gonna be at the top of that order. They're probably going to hope that maybe Mondesi could be in that second spot. I don't think they're going to want Hamilton in there. Hamilton will probably slide into that nine. But you have Hamilton in the nine, and that and that lineup kind of turns back over. I mean, you've got three guys that can burn you and, and cause problems for your maybe, pitching staff. Maybe they'll get to Sunday wins. Hey, you know, maybe we'll get to maybe we'll get to sixty. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. You gotta get to sixty. It's, yes. it's, it's stepping stones. And it's stepping stones. I heard a couple of years ago at clinic. I heard Coach Coons, um, Rusty Coons, who was the first base coach, yeah. former. He talked, and he's very. He's talking about base running. He's very passionate in how they pick up on things, and even with the speed, I mean, their guys were able to come in World Series. A guy that hadn't even played in any, you know, coming be able to steal bases steal. and win a game yeah. basically by running. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Terrence so, Gore so, when we had yeah. him. Yeah, yep. And so he and he's very passionate how they really take advantage and they focus on the running game. Yeah. So we talked about the Phillies making that trade for Segura. They. You know, they're kind of acquiring some veteran players as they made another signing uh, this week uh, since the winter meetings have started, and that was to bring in Andrew McCutcheon on a three-year deal, $50 million. Um, I'm not sure what to make of the Phillies going and bringing in Kutch. What, what do you guys think? Well, I mean, initial thoughts are it's not too bad a price. Um, I know he's not what he was, but he's – uh, he's not as bad as you would think. Uh, his OPS this last year was 892. He had 
He had, oh, obviously, well, that was just with the Yankees. Um, when he went to the Yankees, he ended up playing much better. His, but overall, it was 792 was his OPS. He had 20 home runs for the year in 155 games. Uh, it's not quite where it was before, but if you think of it, um, he You're played, talking about a guy who was a former you know, MVP-level player, and yeah. he's just getting older. Well, that, but, you know, you look at the... Look at the parks when he when he got the switch over to Yankee to the Yankee Stadium, um, he was able to hit much better. I mean, in 130 games with San Francisco, he had 15 home runs, and a majority of those, from what I understand, were um, away games. And now when he goes to the Yankees for 25 games, he hits five home runs. You know, so um, one every five games. That's a good clip. Um, And so I think that fit park-wise is going to help him a ton. I think you're going to see him play really well. Um, His overall overall war, he's still a two to three war guy, um, you know, and that's worth that, the amount of salary that he was there. He's 31. I mean, by the end of this, He's not go- by the end of this contract, he won't be that old. I think yeah, it's 34, good 35. Uh, coach, this is another guy that you're um, very familiar with because he spent you know so many years with the Pirates. Um, do you think that this was a smart move for the Phillies? I think, I think so. I think bringing in a bringing in a veteran guy who's been there, who was like you said, MVP caliber, getting back in in you know, NL East and stuff is going to help them. I, I believe his he's going to still give you very quality numbers and effort, and I think the leadership's going to be the best value he brings to them. Cool. Because, I, mean, I mean, basically controlled that Pirates team for how many every years, and they got to be very competitive. Yeah, they oh, were yeah. right in the mix uh, there for several seasons. Um, then we that leads us to the, the big signing so far. Uh, in the off season, although we expect a couple more that's going to top this, be had Patrick Corbin joining Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg in Washington on a six-year, hundred and forty million dollar deal. Now, I did write an article on this last week, I believe it was, um, where my thought is is he owes Clayton Kershaw. And David Price, a big thank you. Because the projections for him was to come in around the $90 million mark on his contract. Uh, and he tops that by $50 million. And I think a big part of that is those guys re-upping with their teams, not even hitting uh, the market. So, therefore, Corbin became the de facto number one pitcher out there. And, and a team that wanted to you know bulk up their pitching staff, you know, they had to outbid others for him. And... I think Washington was a bit of a surprise for me personally, especially when you consider the the two guys they have on the front end there. Um, But I think it's a sign that the Nationals are saying, hey, we still think we can compete and that we can win the NL East, even though it's getting tougher. Um, I think that's a sign for them. A lot of people are speculating that they're trying to show that to Harper so maybe he comes back. But even if he doesn't, now you've got three guys that can go deep into a game and pitch well. Um, can win you a game. I do think Corbin, you know, he he cashed in on a career year at, at the perfect time. I mean, because oh, yeah. whenever you look at what he did prior to 2018, none of it matched up. I mean, he had 
career numbers nearly across the board, except for um, I think there was one season where he had more innings pitched, if I remember right. Um, but yeah, I mean his numbers across the board were were definitely all up there in 2018. Um, uh, did you expect Corbin to, to land a hundred million plus contract? Uh, that's not too surprising to me. Um, I, I don't know. Right now, the the value of a player of a pitcher um, is just pretty high, and when you look at that, it's twenty twenty four million isn't. Uh, what it used to be. That used to be for your Clayton Kershaws and whoever yeah. was the best. And it, it's still, I mean, he could still be a wild card. From what I, from what I understand, uh, pitch selection is a big part of his change. Um, being healthier for a little bit it was a little bit, but um, mostly pitch selection. Um, and he's throwing a lot of sliders. If I'm if I'm correct, I might I might be corrected there. I've yeah, been, he I've had the little... second highest clip. Uh, yeah, as far as throwing the slider, so there is some concern about what that could do on his elbow. There, there's concern about that, but at the same time, like that, you know, like when you figure out what gets you what you need like that can make a big difference and can get you going for the future as well so i don't know what what were you thinking about it ox i think personally for him is great i think you guys piggyback what you said was great timing for him everything um seen in the past for many players i mean just change of scenery they take off sometimes it hurts them sometimes it helps them i think it'd be good he's going to go into a rotation that like you said, he's got Scherzer and um, Strasburg, so that's a pretty solid duo there. Where do you see him slotting in? I mean, obviously Scherzer's the ace. Does he become the number two and Strasburg goes three? I think you could fit him. I mean, either way, I think he'd be two or three, and it doesn't hurt the Nationals, but you might wedge him in there at two just because you go right, left, right. Yeah. And, and, it, and it throws him and makes him match up a little bit more, the opposing team. Mm. Cool. Um. So, we talked about Bryce Harper and, and Manny Machado being the, the two big guys that are still out there on the market. They were, they were the top two players going into the offseason. Um, I just want to hit on this just really quick because it was really kind of interesting to me. Manny Machado actually announced that he's going to go on a free agency tour where he's going to meet with several teams and he's going to their cities to meet them. Like, that's just not something that you really – that I can remember uh, a baseball player that you've seen it in the NBA – yeah. Where guys travel around and they visit before they make their decision, but Machado says that that's what he's going to do. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's really much that you can read into it other than I, I find it interesting. I, I thought I thought maybe some of the negative um, attention that he got once he got to the Dodgers this year, um, maybe he's trying to clean a little bit of that up, possibly. But I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting move by Machado to say, "Hey, I will." come to you guys you don't have to come find me which is typically what happens right yeah i think it's interesting uh, it probably means that he is pretty confident he's going to get the level of money he wants and so now he's actually making a choice where a lot of times in baseball what you find is uh, they're gonna the big agents are gonna end up with the team that's offering pretty much the most and then if there's a couple that are close you're probably going to go to the bigger market but now he has that luxury like the nba nba they, it's pretty well set what they're going to make 
And yeah. that really hurts their free agency because now it, it, it just hurt. It, it makes it to where, oh, I'm going to go to L.A. where I have this market or to New York where I have this market. And it just kind of changes um, some of that. And so um, I don't know. I He's going to – I guess he's going to see what it's like in that city. I don't know. <laughs> I think – I mean, here he knows – like you said, he's confident in what he probably will get. Now he kind of gets a, that feel for where he really wants to be, not just who's going to offer the most, but maybe the place he wants to truly be. And that lets that organization know he wants to be here. He likes where he's at, mm-hmm. so that maybe they're willing to offer up what he wants. To. Let's make a quick prediction. Where do you think Machado ends up, Andy? Ooh, uh, I'm not really sure. I, I'm – I would think that it will be a bigger market. I haven't really seen the Dodgers in on him much, but that's who I would who I would have leaned towards. I just haven't seen that as much, so I'll go there. Going Dodgers, Ox. I'm I'm I hate to do this, but I'm with Andy. I really think that's where he would be. If, I mean, with the big market. So well, you're probably gonna hate my answer, but I was pushing for this at the trade deadline, and I'm still sticking with it. I, I would love to see him go to Milwaukee and join that Brewers roster. I think that really pushed him over the edge. Um, final little tidbit of happenings here during the winter meetings. Uh, the Blue Jays cut Troy Tulowitzki um, a day or two ago, and it's kind of surprising. You know, Tulo, another MVP you know, caliber guy in the past, still owed $38 million dollars um, I don't know. I, I thought it was surprising. Obviously, injuries have been difficult for Tulowitzki. Um, do you guys have any kind of reactions to that move by Toronto? Um, I think my my reaction is I'm a little sad because I just always liked Tulo, yeah. <laughs> and I'm a little sad because I don't want it to be the end of his career. I'd love to see him bounce back somewhere. I think. He kind of gets a, his pick. Hopefully, he's going to make it back uh, and he'll be uh, with with a major league team. I'm wondering if it means he has some sort of injury that's even more than what we knew or anything yeah. like that. He, when you take a look, uh, last year he had 66 games played. The year before, 131. The year before that, 128. So, I'm, durability has always been an issue for him. And... Uh, I, I don't know. Like, like I would think, I mean, 2016 he still had 3.4 war. I would think that you could get something going for him. And and I misspoke there. Um, last year he didn't play at all, of course. But um, the year before was uh, 66 yeah. games. So, <clears throat> Guy, I kind of grew up in high school when he first started – Thought he was, I mean, that talent was there, the level stuff. I hate that he's been hurt. I'm, he's just a guy that's kind of battled expectations at times, too. I mean, he's had very good years, and he's had some that he couldn't survive the injuries yeah. that year, and so it's shortened his seasons. Well, let's see what he does. I think he you know, could go to a contender and be maybe that veteran guy off the bench, hopefully help out in that role. Um, but we'll find out as the off season progresses here, guys. Um, but definitely we're in that holiday season for those of you who are still looking to get that, maybe that sports fan on your list, the perfect gift, uh, Academy sports guys, they have, you know, 
pretty much anything that a sports fan could need. And a great gift this holiday is gift cards. If you head over to outofpinbaseball.com, click on our affiliate ad right there on the right-hand side, you know, take care of everyone on your list right now from Academy Sports, guys. Um, Coach, let's, let's talk about high school baseball for just a, a few minutes with you. Um, first of all, how, how long have you been uh, coaching at the high school level? Uh, this is my sixth year coaching high school level. Okay, awesome. So, I mean, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of change with the game, you know, at the major league level, um, whether it's, you know, dealing with injuries, you know, Tommy John becoming prevalent, um, rule changes, sabermetrics. I mean, just a lot of change going on there. And it seems like there's something new every season. Um, has any of that – is that any of that really trickling down and impacting you, um, you know, playing with, you know, up-and-coming kids? Yeah. Um one big thing that's kind of changed in our rules was the pitch count for high school. We have, I mean, based on, you know, freshmen, sophomores, they have 95 pitch max, and then they can finish a hitter if they're started, but it's done. Then you get junior, seniors, they can go to like 105, I believe, in Missouri. So I think that's a big thing is the pitch count is one of them. Um, travel baseball, mm-hmm. you, you get in these organizations, kids are going there, believing this is the next biggest thing which for some kids it is good for, but for, I think, your mass, and it's, it hurts them sometimes. Well, yeah. uh, I mean, to go along with what he's saying, uh, I've seen how travel baseball works at times. They're playing over 100 games a year, and pitch, pitch counts aren't restricted there usually. Right. And so – uh, the the kids I've seen uh, that have had issues a lot of times and have hurt their arms or whatever is from that travel ball or is from that fall league. Um, and so, uh, do you see there ever being any way that they can put a restriction on that or anything that will change with that? Because I mean, it's a money maker, is what it is. And so, I I, I was just curious what your thoughts were. Right. Um, at the high school level in the travel ball, I know. They don't play near as many of that games because games are just longer than mm-hmm. since. Um, for most part, any part I've been around, some of these travel organizations, especially in southwest Missouri, is most of them are pretty good at not wanting to hurt kids. They're developing. They have enough pitchers on staff that they can roll that kids out there and roll. pitch. Where you're seeing problems, I think, is when you're getting younger kids and youth and they're going U-Triple-S-A tournaments and different yeah. things like that. Um, I don't. I'm not. Don't quote me, but I'm not for sure if they have pitch count limits in those tournaments or not. But I would start there, where quite often they do not, or at least yeah. it's a pretty lax. So um, yeah, my kids are too young yet. We haven't started that yet. I've been a long time since I've been involved in that. But um, I would say that would be a start to where we could start checking kids. I mean, I know kids throwing curveballs, sliders. You hear it all the time. Too young, stuff like that. I just think it's the amount of things they do yeah. and that. Most kids now, they're throwing is all training programs, stuff like that. I see mm-hmm. we've lost the art of playing catch. Yeah. Just going out and playing Fair catch way. with dad, grandpa, brother, you know, friends. We go out there and we're, we gotta, we got to pitch. we got to work on stuff. So we, we've lost that. that. That's what I think I see the most. And I, not I'm a young coach, but I'm very old school when it comes to that. Yeah. Since is 
it was never a bad thing to just go play catch. Right. And yeah. now it's almost kind of frowned upon. Well, so, it, you know, it's been a concern about, because you're seeing kids that are younger and younger having, you know, like Tommy John surgery. Um, do you think it's because of that? Because they're not just, like, <clears throat> developing that kind of free yeah. throw uh, form in there? Um, I think, I mean, I... I'm not for sure. I don't know if we could ever truly pinpoint it to one thing, but I think part of it's data collection. We're hearing about it more just because our technology is more advanced and we know that stuff. But I I think some of the truth to it is that just playing catch, like, because I remember being young, my arm started hurting me. Well, I had two choices, be done or I see what I can really work myself through. And now, so I knew kind of, I always practice on throwing form well when you go pitch you're focusing on so much more than just your arm slot different mm-hmm. things like that and so i think kids part of it is they're learning to throw different pitches too young mm-hmm. and i know andy's a big numbers guy so i think he's got um some questions as far as like how does saber matrix uh play in to high school ball at this point uh right andy yeah yeah so uh I, I I don't know, and it's it's just as interesting to me to see. Okay, we have these organizations that are running Major League Baseball with tons of sabermetrics. You look at the front offices, and several of them are filled with sabermetric guys now, and it's kind of interesting. And this is a little bit on the side, but minor league it doesn't seem to be happening as much. But as that pushes in, and they're looking at the game in a different way. Do you see it more and more as coming to the high school level, even like whether it's um, the more specific uh, statistics, sorry, uh, like OPS plus or WRC plus or war, or even just looking more at the on-base percentage and at the um, OPS of uh, players and then just the basic ideas of what they do. So um, do you see that coming down any or um, any ideas that you've looked at? (laughs) I think, I mean, I think some of it's already here. I think coaches at the high school level, I mean, me for an example, I can't speak for everyone, but we use probably versions of it or take some different formulas and kind of make it our own. I know we kind of use like a scoring production, which we just basically take runs and RBIs and divide it by their total plate appearances in the season. And it can tell you basically how many runs they've produced per at-bat. Um, and so um, I think some of it will trickle down. I mean, you get into some of these bigger high schools, stuff like that, they're able to do that. But I think what we're going to lack if we ever trickles down is the manpower, the personnel to, to be able to control the sabermetrics and data, you know, well, put it down. And, and that brings us into uh, the technology that we have now. Uh, I think – I think since I've been teaching here and coaching like with middle school and that kind of stuff, there's been a huge change in data collection. And um, how has how's that looked for you at the high school level? Um, I, I, I know, uh, have you seen a change in the six years you've been doing it? And um, how, what, what do you, or is it easy for you to do now, easier than you think it used to be? Um. It's it's much easier in the sense as long as technology works because I mean if you have an iPad yeah you don't even, and you have the app download some examples game changer you don't even have to have an internet connection 
You just have to have the app. You punch it in. The first time it links up to a Wi-Fi or internet, it shoots all your information into your account yeah. and on your team and stuff. I think it's great. Um, some of it gets crazy. I think mean, some of it you can – I mean, I utilize quite often the majority of it, but some of it's just really out there that in the high school level, we're still coaching teenagers. They're yeah. so inconsistent. You don't know what kind of day they've had. Not understand that happens with adults, but when right. it's your job and you're in pay, like the prof- well, um, professional baseball, that they are the best in baseball because they're the most consistent players in yeah. the world. Yeah. And so I think we lose that thought, and when we're trying to teach kids how to be like major leaguers, well, oh, they're yeah. not there mentally, physically, all that. And so we sometimes I think we can put even well, me put too much on them. And the best the best way for any player to get better is to play more. And so you can't you can't take them out just because they didn't perform this way or that way all the time. You gotta you gotta let them get their lumps. Yes. Yeah. And and I think one of the things with kind of like a sabermetric or data is like quality at bats. Like game changer will do a quality bat. You can tell Kitty's done great on that, but if they still go back, did I get a hit? Did I oh, do yeah. this and and bang average? And I know that's getting lost a little bit in the professional level and batting average because of power and home runs and stuff but the high school level you you don't very often have guys hit double digit home runs to begin with yeah well one last thing with that and so i'm obviously it's it would be hard to evaluate players and that kind of stuff with saber saber metrics as much um but and you kind of hit on it um just overall strategy so uh, are you seeing a change in the way that that uh, strategy of evaluating what the other teams look like or anything like that, um, using numbers a little bit more. and Or how you construct ready. your lineup, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, something I've kind of tinkered with in this spring, I'll probably look into it a little bit, so I hope none of my opponents are going to listen to this. Cause, but, <laughs> no, nah, it'd be okay. But, like, someone like in the cleanup spot, the four hole, yeah. what we call it, cleanup spot, that's usually a power guy. He's going to hit all this stuff, but they're going to see a lot of speed. So if your power guy cannot handle off speed, in my sense, why would I waste him there? Because yeah. he's going to see that. So if I can put someone that can handle off speed, and until someone figures it out what I'm doing, they're going to do that. But I can put that power guy somewhere different and make them have to throw fastballs or something to him. Um, on base percentage, probably one of those things people look at besides bang average goes into play i mean you obviously your leadoff guy you want him on a nine holes kind of guy the old saying he's nine hole don't you, you know throw strikes at him stuff like that well i try to put someone who's probably better i might hide a less yeah. hitter in the seven or eight because those guys aren't going to produce as much especially in my formula for run production yeah. scoring runs they they're probably my lowest numbers is that seven eight holes so that some of that strategy goes into that and stuff. I mean, so. Cool. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your answers on those. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I know we've taken up, uh, you know, about an hour of your time there, Coach. Uh, so we'll uh, let you get out of here. But we appreciate you, you know, just being able to jump on the show with us today. And we wish you guys the best of luck uh, this spring. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. This was a blast. I enjoyed talking baseball. Any you, day I can do that, it's a great day. You'll have to come back. Yeah, sometime. so you, you know, you're you're welcome back anytime. Definitely, um, guys. You know, make sure you're jumping on to outofpinbaseball.com when you're on there. 
just put your email in that subscribe spot so that you can get the latest content from us. You'll get it right there in your email inbox. And you can follow us on Twitter at OTP Baseball. That is OTP Baseball. Um, get everything that we publish and interact with us. Let us know, you know what you're liking, uh, what you want to see more of. We'd love to hear from you guys because we are trying to bring you baseball from a fan's perspective. And if you've thought about, hey, man, I would love to write about my favorite team, or I'd even like to do a podcast talking about my favorite team, hit us up and let us figure out how we can help you. We're definitely always looking for contributors. We can partner with MTMV Sports, and we can get you set up on your own podcast. Lots of cool stuff we can do for you, so we'd love to hear from you and see where we can go. Andy, where can people um, follow you at there on social media? Well, on Twitter, I'm at uh, at Ziga, Z-S-I-G-A, underscore Andy, A-N-D-Y. And, um, yeah, you can just find me under Andy Ziga, Facebook, or somewhere else there, too. So Cool. Coach, if they want to follow you or, or, or maybe keep up track of what's going on with the Hollister Tigers, any social media that you can throw out there? Yeah, I got a Twitter account for our Hollister Tiger baseball, and it's at HHS underscore Tiger underscore BSB. All right. And, guys, you can follow me at ericboston3. That's at ericboston3. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of the Out of Pin Baseball Podcast. Starting your weekend off right with us. And we will see you next time where we will always bring you baseball from a fan's perspective. Want to stay up to date with Yankees baseball? Listen to Bronx Bombers Beat with me, Nate Shelton, every Monday, right here on MTMV. Sports fans rejoice. My team, my voice.